Heads up, this episode is bold, dangerous, and explicit. Are you describing Versace's clothes or the language we're going to use? Both. (laughs) It's early September 1997 in Milan, almost two months since Gianni Versace's murder. And this afternoon, near the city's ancient Duomo Cathedral, a somber group of four walks into the office of Gianni's notary, Donatella, her husband Paul, Santo, and Gianni's boyfriend Antonio. The notary has called them all together for the reading of Gianni's will. Almost exactly one year ago, he changed his will in a fit of anger. This feels big. Oh, it's bigger than big. Donatella is still an emotional wreck. As soon as she sits down, she fishes a pack of Marlboro Reds out of her Versace bag. She lights a cigarette and takes a long drag to steady her nerves. Of all things Donatella's faced in the last two months, losing Gianni, the horrible aftermath, the guilt and remorse, the reading of his will holds the least amount of dread. It's just a formality. She and Santo will split Gianni's shares, which means Santo, who owned more of the label to begin with, would end up in charge. Antonio will get a little money, and that's that. Then she can go back to work. Finally, the notary enters and sits at his desk. His name is Luciano Severini. Buongiorno, he says. I'm sorry we must meet under these circumstances. He opens a file folder and takes out Gianni's will. Arisha, would you like to do the honors and read Gianni Versace's last will and testament? Yes, I'm channeling my inner notary and a baritone voice. (laughs) Okay, here you go. On this date, September 16th, 1996, I, Gianni Versace, revoke my last will, dated May 11th, 1990. Oh boy, here it comes. I hereby name my niece Allegra my sole heir. Did you hear that? No, what was it? The sound of a pin dropping. Everyone is silent. Donatella is so taken aback, she almost lets the cigarette burn her fingers. Gianni owned the majority of the company, and he just gave his entire stake to her 11-year-old daughter? He's left nothing to Donatella and Santo. No shares in the company, no personal gifts, not even an antique plate or gold picture frame. After what seems like an eternity, Donatella hears Santo say, If this is what Gianni wanted, then we will respect his wishes. This is a truly shocking turn of events. Yeah, and Donatella is pissed. Not just because her beloved brother cut her out of his will, but because of the pressure her daughter is now going to face. Oh, shit, yeah. And poor Santo. He gets royally screwed. His kids are completely left out. And because Donatella is Allegra's mother, she gets to call the shots on her daughter's behalf until she's 18. Donatella is now effectively in charge of Versace. About the only one who makes out all right is Antonio. He gets his choice of houses and a nice monthly allowance, unless the family has anything to say about it. Santo warns him, you should find an attorney. This is all so messed up. Yeah, but Donatella can't think about this right now. I mean, she still has a show coming up and an empire to save. From Wondery, I'm Brooke Sifrin. And I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams. And this is Even the Rich. In our last episode, Gianni Versace was murdered on the steps of his Miami mansion. Now, it's up to Donatella to make sure the house of Versace carries on. This is episode four, Make It Work. That's the champagne. 
It's October 9th, 1997, Milan, Italy. Donatella is sweating in the elegant garden courtyard just off the Versace showroom. The weather is unusually hot and humid. A few minutes outside and she feels like she's wrapped in sticky gauze. Tomorrow is her day of reckoning. She has to present a brand new ready-to-wear collection at Milan Fashion Week, her very first as Versace's chief designer. Today's dress rehearsal is the last chance to work out any kinks for the outdoor event. My beauties, she tells the models. Please, let's get going. Donatella's brought together a mix of Versace models for the show, alums like Naomi Campbell and Linda Evangelista, and part of the newer group that includes Kate Moss and Karen Elson. Oh, it's the girl that she and Gianni fought about right before his last show. Yes, it stings Donatella to remember all their fights now. She's carrying the burden of the entire Versace house and can't stop thinking how disappointed everybody will be if she fails. That's when she notices something by one of the cypress trees. It's a beautiful white butterfly. It flutters in the glare of the sunlight and then disappears. But a few seconds later, there it is again, hovering near the models. And it doesn't go away. Donatella gets this feeling. It's Gianni, she thinks. He's here. Okay, so I read about how butterflies are a sign of a visit from someone you love who recently died. Yes, I read a lot about butterflies. You know I love that stuff, though. (laughs) But whatever it means, it comforts Donatella. She doesn't feel so alone. She tells herself, you can do this. Just keep going. The next day, right before the show, Donatella holds a press conference. Keep it together, she tells herself. But when she speaks, her voice trembles. These are clothes for a woman who is sweet and tough at the same time. Someone who can survive life's catastrophes with dignity and stand on her own two feet. Wow, she's talking about herself. It sounds like it, right? Yeah. And then she breaks down and simply tells the truth. I'm terrified. Gianni is irreplaceable. I would like to be judged for what I am doing not compared to him. If you compare me to him, I can only fall short. That night, under a huge tent lit with sparkly lights, Donatella waits nervously and watches the best of the best designers show up and start to take their seats. People like Donna Karen, Giorgio Armani, and Karl Lagerfeld, who are all there to support her. But seeing them just adds to the pressure. The stage lights dim. Neon lights pulsate around the edge of the stage, and then the show begins. Naomi Campbell and Kate Moss are the first to walk out in silver metallic outfits. Naomi wears a sexy zippered pantsuit, and Kate's in a skin-tight cocktail dress. The show is a collection of Gianni's signature looks, barely there dresses, and sharply tailored suits in all sorts of prints. Gianni loved his prints. He sure did. There are body-hugging jumpsuits and short shorts, too. It's a mashup of themes and ideas and colors. Like, Donatella was trying to stay true to Gianni's vision and at the same time trying to dip her toe into something edgier, something more Donatella. At the end of the show, everyone applauds. But when Donatella walks down the stage to take her bow, she looks like a broken doll. Her head is cast down. Her eyes are welling up with tears. The theme of the show isn't the clothes. It's grief. The crowd gives her a standing ovation. Backstage, Donatella falls into Giorgio Armani's arms. She's a heaping mess of raw emotion. I miss Gianni so much, Donatella cries. 
I've never felt so overwhelmed in my life. The press is respectful, but overall the feedback is lukewarm. The New York Times says she hasn't quite mastered the fit of the sexy dress, but at least the review ends kindly with, Ms. Versace has room to grow. Lagerfeld is quoted as saying, the collection is interesting. Seems like a nice way to say not great. (laughs) Yeah, I imagine that's how she feels. Even if Gianni made a butterfly appearance, Donatella is the one left holding up the empire and she feels completely alone. It's the morning of July 17th, 1998. Donatella is back in Paris at the Ritz Hotel and she's about to lose it. In just 24 hours, she'll be mounting her very first couture show, but she's nowhere near ready. Nothing seems to be coming together. The workroom is abuzz with seamstresses struggling to finish clothes in time for the show. Every few minutes, a few of them yell out, cazzo, which means fuck. Okay, so that's much more fun to say in Italian. (laughs) But why are these sweet sewing ladies cursing? Well, Donatella's team of newbie designers push them to use weird new fabrics like tulle mixed with copper fibers and metal woven with glass beads. And the materials are difficult to sew. Donatella runs over to check out the latest mishap. The angled hem the seamstress was working on is a mess. They'll have to start another garment from scratch. At this point, Donatella's nerves are more frayed than the ruined hemline, and she's questioning whether she made the right decision to launch the line at all. But she can't back out now. She tries to focus on styling another dress when a scared-looking assistant runs up. Scusi, but we have a request from Puff Daddy. There's going to be a star-studded front row at the show, one of them being Sean Combs. And demands for backstage snacks have been streaming in. My God, what does he want? Asks Donatella. She reads his list. Captain Crunch and Miracle Whip. What the hell is that? Whoa, 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 slow down. Sean Combs, aka P. Diddy, Puffy or Diddy, mm-hmm. wants Cat and Crunch at a fashion show? <laughs> I'm afraid to ask what the Miracle Whip is for. Yeah, me too. It's all too much for Donatella. She's in fight or flight mode. So she makes a decision. She ducks in the bathroom and does some blow. Oh boy. <laughs> The Coke has been her way of keeping the demons at bay and pushing forward under the pressure to succeed. And finally, the moment of truth arrives. Naomi Campbell is the first out on the runway in a tailored white sheath dress. She's followed by a parade of models in edgy cocktail dresses and body-hugging suits in wool and mohair. When it's over, she takes her bow and retreats as fast as she can to her hotel suite and waits for the reviews. And they are devastating. Hmm. People gave her a pass right after Gianni died. And now, the knives are out. The New York Times is especially brutal, saying, As was clear from the earliest days that they worked together, Ms. Versace's aesthetic is violently different from that of her brother. In other words, the opposite of the refinement of couture. They also say the frayed clothes expose a hint of madness. Ouch. Yeah. Donatella tried to invoke something fresh and edgy with the collection, but she clearly missed the mark. It's a monumental flop. After the disastrous couture show, Donatella tries to mask her fear that she's an imposter, a failure. On the outside, she's as bubbly as expensive champagne, but on the inside, she's a wreck. Retailers aren't interested in this edgy new Versace. And then her marriage to the handsome Paul Beck takes a nosedive and they decide to separate in June. But the pressure doesn't let up. 
There are more shows on the calendar, more collections to design, and everyone's looking to Donatella. So who can blame her if she ups her intake of Coke and starts making her own hours? She's often way behind schedule and demands spontaneous late night meetings to discuss new designs. It drives the old guard crazy, or at least what's left of them, and they start leaving in droves. But who cares, she thinks. She has new designers. But I thought the stores don't like the new designs. True, or the critics. The reviews go from bad to worse. There's this one from the Times that's so mean. The critic writes her collection of torn t-shirts and jean skirts looks like it's been designed by a lecherous old groupie on break from a Grateful Dead tour. Wow, that's worse than the review of my Oompa Loompa performance in ninth grade. (laughs) Is it though? (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Donatella is super hurt by the reviews, but she's also overwhelmed. It's like the house of Versace has a hive of buzzing bees with no queen to lead them. And we all know what happens to a beehive without a queen. Without her, everyone dies. Wow, thank you, Professor Arisha, for that incredibly dark (laughs) sidebar. (laughs) But yeah, Versace is in trouble. Santo tries to talk to her, but she doesn't want to hear it. Instead, she parties like it's 1999. Well, it is 1999. (laughs) Okay, true. Well, now she parties boldly, snorting cocaine in front of her staff. Mm. And if that doesn't cheer her up, she spends money. She has a personal glam squad with her at all times, just in case there's a loose piece of lint or a flyaway hair. Her extensions cost $150,000 in one year alone. And there's this entitlement thing. If I raise my hand and flash the V sign, what do you think it means? V for Versace? Nope. It's a signal for her nearest bodyguard or assistant to grab a cigarette and quickly slide it between her fingers and then immediately light it. (laughs) That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I know. I want to get to that level. (laughs) Donatella's out of control and no one knows what to do about it. It's December 31st, 1999. And Donatella is ready to ring in the new year at her brother's beloved Casa Casuarina in Miami. She's hosting an A-list party to say good riddance to the 90s. And she's also saying good riddance to the Casa. Over the summer, she and Santo decided to put the mansion up for sale. Since Gianni's death, the villas turned into a tourist attraction for murder-obsessed out-of-towners. Practically every time Donatella steps outside, there's someone posing for a photo on the steps where Gianni died. Ugh, that is so creepy. But that's not the only reason they want to unload it. They need the money. Thanks to Donatella's underwhelming design work, the house is an albatross around their necks. But Donatella's not thinking about that right now. All she wants to do is throw the party of the year. Gianni would want that, she thinks. Inside the gated stone walls, movers and shakers mingle with friends of the family. J-Lo talks movie deals with her manager under the frescoed ceilings of the living room. Gwyneth Paltrow and Madonna sip bubbly and gossip under a $10,000 imported palm tree in the garden. Oh, they're definitely brainstorming early goop ideas. (laughs) Madonna's probably like, Gwen, I have an idea for you. Vagina-scented candles. Mm, yum. (laughs) Donatella floats from guest to guest. She smiles, makes small talk, summons waiters to refill empty glasses. No one would guess she's a wreck under her five sets of eyelashes and baked-in tan, except for her good friend, Rupert Everett. So when she feels him tugging on her bracelets and pulling her into one of the 10 bathrooms, she goes. Donatella posts a bodyguard outside the door and she and Rupert perch on the side of the tub or maybe on the closed toilet seat and get high. 
And Donatella just lets it out. She's like, I feel like the whole world is looking at me with daggers in their eyes. They expect me to be Gianni. It's never enough. Anything new I try, they all just shake their heads. Rupert wrote about it in his book, Red Carpets and Other Banana Skins. He said, people didn't see the depth of her sadness. She had built an image that became a prison. Nobody could see through that peroxide wall. She and Rupert finally stumble out of the bathroom to celebrate the new year with the other guests. But the early 2000s are gonna be far from a celebration. Donatella will have to hit rock bottom before she can claw her way up. So I just want to say DoorDash deserves all the gold stars. Like, I cannot tell you how many times it's come in handy. We actually use it for our Thursday night sleepovers. We get Cheesecake Factory all the time on DoorDash. (laughs) Uh, But it's, it's good for a lot of things. Groceries, late night snacks, all kinds of stuff. And before you ask... Richie's. Yes, of course we have a code. You can use code RICH24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value. When you spend $15 or more on your next convenience, grocery, or retail order for eligible users only, terms apply. Love it. Listen, Richie's, you play your cards right, you never have to leave your house again. <laughs> yep. And that's the real dream. It is. Get everything you need when you need it. Use code RICH24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more at convenience, grocery, or select retail stores on DoorDash. For eligible users only terms apply can we talk about how cool it is that with audible you almost feel like you're watching a movie just by listening to the stories especially with audible's new collection of exclusive thrillers they feature captivating sound design eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances so the story is really brought to life i'm excited to listen to none of this is true by lisa jewel it's actually about a podcaster who meets this girl and this girl like tells her about her life and she's like you should feature me in your podcast but then the girl's life is like very strange. Oh my gosh. So why has that not happened to us yet? It will. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> but it sounds so good and juicy. Yeah. And Richie says an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including best selling audio titles and new releases in every genre. New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash even the rich or text even the rich to 500 500. That's audible.com slash even the rich or text even the rich to 500 500 to get started. It's October 2002, and Santo Versace is strolling the marble corridors of the Victorian Albert Museum in London. Tonight, the museum is opening the hottest exhibit of the year, a retrospective of Gianni's nearly 20-year career. But before the public has a chance to see it, Santo is taking a private tour. No chatty tour guides, no dozing security guards, no tourists wearing fanny packs. Just Santo and dozens of mannequins decked out in his brother's most splendid designs. He stops to marvel at the safety pin dress Gianni designed for Elizabeth Hurley, the one that made her famous. Beside it, he studies the elegant dress Gianni designed for Princess Di. The front embroidered with a glinting zigzag of blue and gold beads. It's beautiful enough to move a grown man to tears. These clothes, he thinks, they're magnificent. His brother was a true artist a genius. He mourns the old days at Versace when everyone was aligned behind one visionary. He wants to believe in his sister, but it's clear she doesn't have what Gianni did. She won't even listen to Santo when he tries to explain that most of her designs can't be reproduced. They're too expensive. 
And when she does manage to design something that's factory friendly, her team is so behind schedule that they sometimes send incomplete outfits to stores. Tops without bottoms, blouses without skirts, which means canceled orders and pissed off buyers. For years now, Versace's profits have been dwindling. Now, sales are down 25%, and Santa was pretty much given up trying to reason with his sister. Donatella has always been a big spender, but it seems like every day another bill from Donatella is landing on Santo's desk. $2 million for a diamond ring charged the company. A complete renovation of her apartment? Ditto. Plus, she's still throwing epic parties, flying flowers and candles and DJs around the world, all on the company's dime. Santos tried to find creative ways to bail out the ship. After selling Casa Casuarina, he auctioned off Gianni's art collection. Together, they net more than $57 million, but it's not enough. One of the few things he refused to give up were the dresses on display tonight. It's pretty much all that's left of Gianni's legacy. Santo reaches the end of the exhibition. I imagine he takes a moment, maybe wipes away a tear or two and composes himself and takes one last look at the mannequins. They represent everything Gianni worked so hard to build and everything Donatella now seems destined to destroy. Okay, that sounds a little dramatic. (laughs) Okay, maybe he's not thinking about it in such stark terms, but the show is a reminder for Santo. The Versace label was great once. It wowed the fashion world. It may have fallen on tough times, but who's to say it can't be great again? So when he gets back to Milan, Santo springs into action trying to shore up the label's finances. He puts out feelers for an outside investor, someone who can buy up some of the family's shares and inject the label with some much needed cash. But when Donatella finds out, she flips. If Santo expects her to give up shares in her company, well then he's got another thing coming. And by another thing coming, I mean Donatella's lawyers. She uses them to send a message. If he makes any moves without her, she'll force him out of the company. Wait, she can do that? She can. Donatella controls Allegra's majority shares, which means as her guardian, she calls the shots. Damn, his ass is grass. Okay, what? (laughs) I've always wanted to say that. This just felt like my opportunity. (laughs) But it pretty much does stop any outside investor talk. So for the next year, the label continues to bleed money. But now instead of fighting in person, Santo and Donatella snipe at each other through intermediaries. Honestly, I want to get an intermediary so that I can (laughs) snipe with a lot of different people at once. Yeah, good idea. (laughs) But I mean, there are two hotheads who refuse to listen. Santo tells Donatella her clothes are unwearable. Donatella blames the factories for not being able to deliver what she makes and their lawyers get in shape by walking back and forth between the siblings' offices. (laughs) But then comes a glimmer of hope. In March 2003, Donatella shows a new collection that features these corseted evening gowns in pastel colors. They catch the eye of Bergdorf Goodman's CEO. Bergdorf is a 100-year-old department store that's long been the crown jewel of Manhattan's Fifth Avenue. Bergdorf stopped selling Versace clothes years ago, but now the CEO is ready to give Versace another shot. He invites the label to put together a trunk show. This is the first sign of faith anyone has shown in Versace in a long, long time. I'm almost afraid. (laughs) What happens? It's a hit. (gasps) Versace is going to get a permanent home in Bergdorf's flagship store. But pretty much right off the bat, there's trouble. First, Bergdorf asks for help designing the space, but Donatella and her team don't respond. 
Next, they ask Donatella to make a few personal appearances to excite shoppers, and she blows them off. And then, when they order a bunch of Versace designs, most of the clothes never arrive. Okay, this is bad. Yeah, it's a total disaster. After a few months, the CEO pulls the plug and turns the Versace space over to another brand. Donatella had a shot at redemption, and she blew it. And the weird part is, Donatella just doesn't seem like she gives a shit. Or maybe she can't give a shit. She's now mixing Coke with Valium and other sedatives. Not exactly a winning combo. And she goes on these week-long binges where she's completely unreachable. Even when she pulls it together enough to show up at the office, she's not much use. She can't focus. She hears voices. Nothing she says makes any sense. It's so bad that her team is relieved when she doesn't show up at all. But without anyone to tell the designers what to do, the label has about as much direction as a monkey on a motorcycle. (laughs) Versace's February 2004 collection is so bad, such a hodgepodge, that Women's Wear Daily sums it up in one word. Oops. Meanwhile, Santo is desperately trying to stop the House of Versace's financial freefall. And in 2004, he finds a solution. One he thinks even his sister will like. And that solution is named Tom Ford. Tom's just wrapped up a decade-long run as Gucci's creative director. Now he's ready to pump his millions into a new label. And he has his heart set on Versace. Donatella is actually open to the idea. Wait, I thought the last time Santo brought up the idea of investors, she wanted to strangle him. Well, you're right. But this isn't some hedge fund manager investor. This is Tom Ford. The guy's a legend. And maybe having a hotshot designer around might take some of the pressure off her. So in February 2004, Donatella takes a meeting with Tom. She barely has time to sit down and smooth out her skirt before he's reeling off his plans for revitalizing the Versace brand. But he's got one condition. Donatella has to step down. He did not really say that. (laughs) He did. And here she thought the whole point of bringing Tom on board was to find her a new collaborator. Now he wants to take away her company? She shouts back, This label is my life. I'm not going anywhere. And then she storms out. You can probably guess what happens next. She goes to the bathroom to snort a line. I mean, maybe, but I'm talking big picture. Tom retracts his offer. The Versaces just lost their one possible lifeline. Santo is now out of options. He has no choice but to go to the bank and tell them the hard truth. The company lost $100 million in the last year. Losses made even worse by Donatella's wild spending. Now, there's a massive loan coming due, and he has no way to pay it. It's June 9th, 2004, a soft summer's night in Reggio, and Donatella is back in her hometown. She hasn't been here in years, but when she heard that Elton John was playing a concert just a few miles away, she decided it was time to go home. It's not easy, of course. There's so many memories here. When she pushes open the door to her childhood home, it feels like stepping back in time. She does a loop through the house, passing the bathroom where Gianni first dyed her hair blonde. Then she stops in the living room where she and Gianni often sat up till dawn talking about life. When her Aunt Nora comes in, Donatella rushes into her arms and bursts into tears. I mean, here she is, back at home where she and Gianni used to dream of a future far away where they could make beautiful clothes together. Now he's gone and the business is failing and she's a wreck. Maybe a few piano ballads by her friend Elton will make her feel better. 
Normally, Elton John shows are wild and over the top, but tonight he's decided to pare it down. No crazy wild outfit and giant backup band. It's just him performing solo with a simple black piano. Elton unplugged. He's glad Donatella will be here tonight. He hasn't seen her much since her brother died, although he's heard rumors about her drug use and the stress and pressure. He feels for her. He knows Gianni's shoes are hard to fill and he knows how much she loved him. The stage lights dim and Elton strolls up to the piano. Then he launches into your song. As the final chord rings out, he turns to the audience and says, I want to dedicate this whole show to my good friend Gianni Versace. And the crowd erupts in applause. Elton looks off stage for Donatella, hoping she'll hear the love from the crowd. But when he sees her, she's not cheering. She's sobbing, like shoulder shaking, mascara running, everything in my life is a mess kind of sobs. To Elton, she looks like a woman who has hit rock bottom, someone in desperate need of help. It's June 30th, 2004, Milan. Donatella is putting the finishing touches on Allegra's 18th birthday cake. Allegra's 18th birthday also heralds another big milestone. She's about to inherit her majority shares in the Versace company. It hasn't always been easy for her growing up. She was a quiet kid, never caused trouble, always followed the rules, pretty much did what her mother said. But in every press photo I could find, she looks sad and sort of pensive. Sure, she spent holidays with the kids of famous celebrities and took private jets everywhere, but it's been lonely. Her mother travels a lot, so she's surrounded by nannies, and ever since her uncle Gianni died, things have gotten worse. Her mother's always stressed out. Bodyguards follow her everywhere. Kids gossip about her in the halls. And she gets really thin. Everyone suspects she has an eating disorder, but it's not something people say out loud, especially in fashion circles where laxatives and crash diets are pretty much the norm. I mean, it's already hard to be a teenage girl. I can't imagine throwing all of this on top of that. Oh my God, same. But she's smart, like really smart. And in her senior year, she's accepted into an Ivy League college. Most kids her age would be sending emails and texts to their new dorm mate and buying meal plans for the year. Allegra might be doing some of that, but she also has to figure out what to do about inheriting half of the shares of a multi-million dollar company. So she hires a lawyer as an advisor. She's not sure yet what he's going to advise her on, but she wants to make sure her interests are looked after. But right now, she's not thinking about any of that. She needs to focus. Tonight, she has to do one of the bravest things she's ever done in her life. And her mom is not going to like it. The rum-soaked cannoli cake is set. The Dom Perignon is chilling. But Donatella Versace is on edge. When an assistant walks by with a giant arrangement of red roses, she freaks out. These are the wrong color, she yells. Then she apologizes. Then she starts crying, which turns into a shrill laugh. These mood swings aren't exactly new. As a matter of fact, they're getting worse. She swings from tears to hysteria to aggression and back again. She's got everyone tiptoeing around her. Later, after Donatella puts on her evening gown and loads herself up with jewelry, she tries to put on her charming hostess face. This is Allegra's big day after all. But as soon as the guests start to arrive, she realizes she's all nerves and slips away to the bathroom. She emerges a few minutes later feeling way better. 
She's chatting away with her guests when the doorbell rings. And surprise, it's Elton John. I'm surprised. (laughs) Donatella didn't invite him, but of course she's happy he's here. She hasn't seen him since the concert in Reggio. Elton motions Donatella into another room. A few family members trail behind, including Allegra, Santo, and her ex-husband, Paul. Meanwhile, Donatella's assistants discreetly ask the remaining guests to leave. Donatella's like, what is going on here? No one says anything. And then Elton speaks up. He basically says, Donatella, we love you, but you are destroying yourself, your family, and the company you've helped to build. We can't force you, but you need to go to rehab. Oh my God, it's an intervention. Mm-hmm. Remember when Elton saw her sobbing in the wings at his show? Yeah. He knew he had to do something. So he called Donatella's assistant and her family, said they needed to take action together. If they didn't, they were enabling her. And if she didn't get help, she could die. This is a real wake-up call. Elton gives the floor to Donatella's family, and they begin to share stories of the hurt that she caused them because of her drug use. Through tears, Allegra pleads with her to get help. And then Santo. She can see his pain in spite of all of their fights. Donatella knows she's sick and that she's been in denial. What would Gianni think, she wonders. Finally, Elton breaks into her thoughts and says, there's a private jet waiting to take you to the facility. She looks up at Elton and says something like, I'll go only if there's low-fat food. I want shrimp and grilled seafood, no oil or salt. A few minutes later, she takes off her gown and her diamonds and slips into a jogging suit. And puts on some comfy Uggs for the long flight. Oh my God, Arisha, how dare you? Donatella still has stilettos on when she gets on the plane and heads to Arizona. So you're trying to eat better, but meal prepping isn't exactly cutting it. Trust me, I've been there, which is why I'm so excited for today's sponsor, Factor. Factor's pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals are delivered right to your door and heat up in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier. It really hasn't. And you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. This is a sponsor that we're like, we're going to probably pay for this on our own when it runs out. And that's a big testament. Like, the meals are delicious. They I are have not really had a good. meal I don't like from there. Yeah. The idea of being able to put something in the microwave yes. for two minutes and it coming out as if you cooked it. <sighs> yeah. I feel like we're living in the future. We are. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Yeah. So head to factormeals.com slash rich50 and use code rich50 to get 50% off. That's code rich50 at factormeals.com slash rich50 to get 50% off. Less than 24 hours after her intervention, Donatella checks into a high-end rehab facility called The Meadows, which is sort of funny considering the place is in the middle of the desert. She might as well have landed on Pluto. She's that far away from her five-star Versace life. In fact, she has no clue where or what Arizona is. That night, she collapses in her tiny dorm-style room on her tiny twin bed as limp as a rain-soaked kitten. She's exhausted from crying but she's ready to clean up her act. At 5.45 a.m. sharp the next day, the meaning of rehab sinks in. It's more like a tough love boot camp. 
Her uniform goes from leopard print and leather to oversized t-shirts and loose pants. Nurses collect daily urine samples for drug screenings. She gets a paper name tag with Donatella V written out in Sharpie. I'm guessing there's no glam squad or anyone to light her cigarettes. Yeah, that's not going to fly here. <laughs> and cell phones are banned. There's virtually no contact with civilization other than spotting the occasional jackrabbit from her window. And then the hard work really starts. She has to go inward and deal with her feelings. I can't even imagine how deep that well is. Feelings about the murder of her brother, the effect of her drug use on her daughter, fights with her brother, feeling like an imposter as the head of Versace. Her schedule is packed with spirituality discussions, art therapies, psychiatry sessions, group therapy, plus 12-step meetings. Donatella is horrified by the thought of sharing her secrets in front of strangers. But she finds her voice. Donatella works through a lot of guilt and depression about Gianni, and Allegra flies in for an extended family healing session. Five weeks later, Donatella leaves the meadows a different woman. For the first time in decades, she's clean and sober, and praying she stays that way. While Donatella was in rehab, Santo was struggling to find a solution for the $123 million loan payment that was now due to the bank. Yowzers. Big yowzers. <laughs> Versace had nowhere near that kind of money in its coffers, but he manages to strike a deal. To avoid default, the bank insists on installing a new board of directors that will answer only to them, and Santo has to step down. They'll allow Donatella to stay as lead designer, but someone has to replace her as chief executive. Yeah, that's a lot of demands. And I haven't even gotten to the biggest one of all. The new CEO will have six months to prove that Versace can turn a profit. If he doesn't deliver, the bank is going to liquidate everything. But Santo agrees. I mean, his hands are tied. As a show of good faith, he helps out with the search for a new chief executive. One name rises to the top, Giancarlo Dericio. Diricio is this fashion exec with a reputation for swooping in to reorganize troubled companies. He already saved Fendi from ruin. Diricio has a no-nonsense management style. He works 18-hour days and subsists entirely on strong cappuccinos. Okay, so he must pop a lot of Tums. <laughs> well, his acid <laughs> reflux isn't the point. What matters is that the bank thinks he's the right man for the job. But the rules of the corporation state he needs a majority shareholder to agree, which means Santo needs to talk to Allegra. She now has 50% stake. But when he raises the idea to her, she's not sure what to do. So she turns to her advisor for a crash course in finance. In August, Allegra is ready to make her decision. Is this the part where a bunch of suits around some huge table in a conference room each say yay or nay? I have no idea, but I'd assume they were somewhere in a boardroom with marble since, you know, it's Italy. <laughs> when it's time for Allegra to cast her vote on whether Dericio is in, she says... Did our Zoom call just drop? No, I'm raising the tension. Okay. <laughs> yes. Giancarlo Dericio is now Versace's new CEO. For Santo, it's a bittersweet moment. The company he loves and poured his heart into for almost 30 years has a chance to live on. The bitter part is that it's going to happen without him. While he still holds a co-chairman title, he won't have any power at all. Wow. I feel like Santo is a casualty in this whole saga too. Mm -hmm. All of them, actually. And now with no-nonsense Dericio in charge, Donatella is going to have a new boss. One who intends to control every move she makes at Versace. She'd better start drinking some cappuccinos. 
<laughs> it's October 2004. Donatella's three months out of rehab, and her nerves are as jangly as the gold bangles on her wrist. She's about to debut a new collection, her first since sobering up and returning to work. Just getting here sober, reaching this point where the lights dim and the models line up one by one ready to sashay down the catwalk, it's been the hardest thing she's ever done. Donatella has treated this show like her shot at redemption, not just with the critics and buyers, but with her staff too. She knows she let them down in the past. They needed a leader. Instead, they got a rambling train wreck who was as high as a kite every time she showed up at work, if she bothered to show up at all. So in the run-up to this show, she did everything differently, like arriving at the studio every morning at 10 a.m. on the dot. When she was high all the time, the smallest decision could leave her quaking. Now, she's leading with the self-assurance of a Roman emperor. Use the black zipper. Take in this hem. Turn the curling iron six degrees counterclockwise. Hell yeah, Donatella. <laughs> so, are the clothes any good? That's for the critics and the crowd to decide. When the show begins, Donatella grabs her assistant's hand and squeezes it like a wet sponge. They watch as the models make their loops up and down the runway. They're wearing simple silk dresses, white gowns embellished with crystals, and pantsuits fit for a badass businesswoman. At the end of the show, when Donatella lets go of her assistant's hand and heads for the stage, she's gotta be wondering, what am I gonna find out there? Fans or executioners? As she takes her first step onto the catwalk, the audience erupts in applause and everyone leaps to their feet. A huge smile of relief spreads across her face. She peers into the crowd and there's Santo, applauding his heart out too. They're probably both thinking the same thing. Versace is back. Over the next three years, Donatella churns out one winning collection after another and sales start to pick up. And the cherry on top of the Sunday. She's learning to trust her own creative instincts. She spent years trying to live up to Gianni by mimicking his sexy, colorful designs. Now she leans into her own style, and it's different from her gothic, haunted look of before. It's sophisticated and restrained. One year, she designs an entire collection in white, something Gianni never would have dreamed of. In February 2007, after unveiling another fabulous collection, one of Donatella's deputies gets a call from the head of Bergdorf Goodman. Hang on, isn't that the guy who banished Versace from his store after Donatella failed to deliver? Yep, that's the one. Mm. Now he's singing a different tune. He says, congratulations on a truly beautiful show. We're ready to move forward. That same month, Donatella takes a trip to Los Angeles to attend an award ceremony. It's predictably celebrity filled. J-Lo, Drew Barrymore, and Prince are there, along with all those supermodels whose careers Donatella changed back in the 90s. Donatella's being awarded a star on the Rodeo Drive Walk of Style, a star she'll share with her brother Gianni. It's recognition, after all these years, that she's not just his muse, she's also his equal. Stop, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> Believe me, I cried when I read this part of the story too. With Dericio's help, Versace starts selling branded sunglasses and bags and designing the interiors of private jets and seven-star hotels. There's no such thing as a seven-star hotel. Oh my God, Arisha, you're so poor. I'm just I kidding. I know. <laughs> but there is in Dubai. But the denouement, as they say in fancy literature, is Versace breaks even, then turns a profit, and finally pays off its loans. In 2009, Dericio is like, 
My work here is done. Donatella learned a lot from him, but she's happy she can run the label how she wants, alongside the two people she loves most in the world, Allegra and Santo. Versace started as a family business, and now it is one again. And that pretty much brings us up to the present. It's been 23 years since Gianni was murdered and nearly 45 years since he first left Reggio for Milan. Versace has never been far from the public eye. Books and TV shows have made sure of that. And of course, celebrities are still wearing their clothes. Two years ago, Donatella, Allegra, and Santo decided to sell Versace to a luxury company called Capri Holdings, which also owns Michael Kors and Jimmy Choo. They thought it would help the label grow faster, and they were right. Today, Versace is a lifestyle. You can stay in Versace hotels. You can buy $500 dinner plates with Medusa heads on them. They've even got dog leashes. So the Versace family is like retired now? No, they all still work for the label. Santo's the president, Allegra's a director, and Donatella, as head designer, isn't showing any signs of slowing down. She's been through it all. Addiction, family tragedy, huge losses. And as her friend Elton says, she's still standing in her six-inch stiletto slippers. This is the final episode of our four-part series, The House of Versace. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review. And be sure to tell your friends. We use many sources when researching our stories, like Vanity Fair, New York Magazine, and Vogue. But we especially recommend two books, Vulgar Favors by Maureen Orth and House of Versace by Deborah Ball. I'm Brooke Sifrin. And I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams. Celia Finkelstein wrote this episode. Our editor is Lordana Palavoda. Caleb Bissinger is our producer. Audio assistance by Sergio Enriquez. Sound design is by James Morgan. Our executive producers are Stephanie Jens, Marsha Louie, and Hernan Lopez. For Wondery. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.